Hey, it's Amy Newmark, and this week is all about miracles with stories from this year's best-selling book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Believe in Miracles. Changing your life one story at a time. This is the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast with Editor-in-Chief Amy Newmark. Hey, it's Amy Newmark, and it's Friend Friday on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast. And boy, do we have a show for you today. I'm talking with Rob and Cheryl Cuccio. Rob wrote a story about literally coming back from the dead for our new book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Believe in Miracles. So we're going to talk about that, how he was dead until his wife insisted the doctor go back and keep trying. And we're also going to talk about how Cheryl's dad was murdered by her classmate back in high school because he was sexually abusing Cheryl. Cheryl went to jail for that, but I have a feeling she wouldn't change what she did because she had a little sister to protect as well as herself. So we have a lot to cover and a lot to learn today from this inspiring couple who have overcome tremendous challenges and are here to talk about it. So welcome, Rob and Cheryl. Hi, how are you? Hi, Amy, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm going to let everybody know that Rob is a registered nurse specializing in oncology. So we talked about that. And Cheryl is a public speaker and advocate for victims of sexual abuse and incest, which is very brave of Cheryl to come forward and share her experience to help other people. But let's start with Rob's story in our new book about miracles. Rob, talk about that cardiologist that you saw and tell us what happened. Well, Amy, I had been having chest pains for uh, about six months when I decided it was time to see a cardiologist. I seeked out a cardiologist, Vito Mercurio, and I went to him, I'd have to say four or five times. He did do a stress test on me, but it wasn't the nuclear stress test because my insurance had denied it. And he didn't go any further to try to get that test done. So he did the cheaper of the two. And when it was over, he said, my heart was fine. I went back to him after that test probably two more times. And the last time I had saw him, I told him I thought I had a minor heart attack. And he assured me it was just an anxiety attack. And, you know, even though I had tried to explain to him that I'm not an anxious person, he assured me it wasn't my heart and had me come back three weeks later for a blood pressure test. However, two weeks after that, I had my massive heart attack. So I guess it was my heart. Yeah. And I know you were smart enough to realize you were having a heart attack and you had Cheryl take you to the hospital and there you, well, I'll let Cheryl talk about what happened. What happened after you got to the hospital with Rob? Well, um, we pulled in. The hospital is about seven minutes from our house. And just when he said he wanted to go to the hospital, I knew, you know, there was a big problem because he would never say that, especially when he had a doctor telling him nothing was wrong. So he just actually kind of like walked to the car and he was almost in a trance, to be honest with you. And he didn't have his keys, his wallet, his phone, things that he normally would do. He got in the car and I flew there, blew through lights, pulled in. I said, are you able to walk in the emergency room by yourself? He nodded yes, and then I hurry up and park the car. By the time I got into the hospital, they started registering him. 
And probably a minute or two after that, he just belted out this horrifying scream that I never heard in my life. And they all started yelling code blue and the massive heart attack started. That's incredible. I told my daughter your story. She's a doctor. And when I first told it to her, she was like, that couldn't happen. He couldn't be dead and then come back unless he had his heart attack in the hospital. I said, yes, he had his heart attack in the hospital. She was like, wow, as a doctor, I hear about these stories once in a while. They're unbelievable and they hardly ever happen. So Rob, let's talk about what happened while you were having the heart attack and what you saw while you were technically dead. You know, the funny part is, Amy, was that when I was having the chest pains and I went downstairs to to leave Cheryl alone, I had this weird sensation that something, I like to say, entered my body. And that was what actually prompted me to go back upstairs and, you know, tell Cheryl I wanted to go to the hospital. I, I really feel that it was my guardian angel at that point. So here we are, I have the heart attack and, you know, I didn't, where people say they floated over their body and, and, and they watched the, the, the medical crew work on them. That, that wasn't something that happened for me. What I, what I remember most was that there was this blonde, I call her my guardian angel holding my right hand and we floated towards a light, but it wasn't white. My, my, my light was blue. It was a, a very, a different blue, but anyway, and it seemed that, you know, the, the, the further or the closer I got to the light, the further it was away from me. And then when we finally reached where the light was coming from, I, I, I felt that there was a threshold there. And when I tried to cross over, my angel pulled me back and shook her head no. And uh, I didn't really understand what that was until I'd say months later when I realized that if I had... I feel if I had crossed over that threshold and entered that light, that I wouldn't be here telling you guys the story. It was so serene. It, it was it was a real beautiful place that I actually wanted to go to. But I'm actually glad that my uh, my angel kept me out of it. I feel that for the 17 days that I was in the coma, my angel was there protecting me. And she left me the day I woke up. Well, and while that was going on and all of that was going on inside your head, Cheryl, let's talk about what you were doing. While Rob was lying there in the hospital and was technically dead, what were you doing? I didn't, I guess, realize the severity of of everything. They were working on him so frantically, and there were so many people in his room that I basically just like not... It wasn't a room. It's just like uh, different spots with curtains, the emergency room. And so I was outside the curtain, just pacing back and forth, pacing back and forth. And, uh, you know, just, you know, just so nervous and so anxious because anything that I've ever been through in my life, he's been with me. So it was kind of weird for me to be by myself. And so um, one of the nurses came and said, I think you need to call somebody. And I was trying to decide if I needed to. You know, how I was going to get my, my kids there without worrying, you know, because they had to drive. And so it was just very, very big decision, you know, to tell them what was going on. I just and so, um, yeah, I was just pacing back and forth, just praying and just 
not like not being able, like waiting for him to walk through, run through the door and help me. And he couldn't. When the doctor came out and told you that Rob was dead and there was nothing else they could do, what did you do? For the first time in my life, I spoke up for myself for the first time. I always had him to do that for me and protect me. And I was just thinking, you know, I said to him, there's no way. And at that point, my kids were there. And I said, there's no way, no way he would leave us ever. I'm like, you have to go back in there and keep trying. I'm like, don't, you know, don't give up. You got to go back in there. And because it wasn't busy and by the faith of God, he said, I I will try another 10 minutes. But after that, it will be way too long. And there's no way that he he would be able to, you know, survive this. And my understanding is that they tried CPR for eight more minutes and you were only two minutes away from the deadline and then you heard a cheer. There was a digital clock right outside the room for some reason and and me and my kids were watching it. First, my kids both went in the room to cheer him on and beg him to come back. And then they stepped out and they were with me and there was literally two minutes left. And we were just staring at the clock as we were, you know, hearing them, you know, pound on his chest with the CPR and, you know, everything. And then all of a sudden they all started screaming and cheering. And we're like, what, you know, I never thought that, you know, they would come out and say, you know, that he had a pulse. I just couldn't understand why why would they be screaming like that? And the doctor came out and said to us, you know, Mrs. Cuccio, it's a miracle. I don't know how he did it, but he's back. Well, we're very happy that he came back. We're going to take a break. And then we're going to come back and talk some more about Rob's recovery. And we're also going to talk about the work that you do now on behalf of survivors of incest and sexual abuse. We're back with Rob and Cheryl Cuccio. And we're going to talk a little bit about Rob's recovery from being in a coma for 17 days after he died and came back. And then we're going to talk about Cheryl's very difficult childhood and how she's helping people today as a result. So, Rob, let's talk a little bit about your recovery and how you're doing today, and then we will move on to Cheryl's childhood. You know, the the 17 days, I'll be honest, you know, like I said, I don't really remember. I, I, I do remember waking up, and uh, I remember that there was, the Today Show was on, and I remember Matt Lauer saying it was June 2nd. I said, June 2nd? I, said, uh, I went to sleep May 14th. You know, I remembered that because it was my wife's birthday. And, uh, you know, I couldn't talk because I had a trach. And I remember looking at Cheryl with this puzzled look on my face. And, and she said, you know, you've been in a coma for almost a month. I didn't realize how bad it was. And it was, you know, funny because I remember the doctors asking me stupid questions. Well, what I, I, I thought was stupid questions about, can you tell me, you know, point to your daughter and do you know your mother? And I'm like, I, I don't understand. You know, I went to sleep. Now I'm waking up and they're asking me if I know my daughter. Until I was actually told how bad it was. And then I realized, wow, <laughs> you know, and then they told me what Cheryl did for me. And it was just, it was amazing. But yeah, getting out of the hospital, my my daughter was graduating high school. This happened in May and she graduated in June and they wanted to send me to a rehab and I would have missed her graduation. So there was no way I was going to do that. So I did a lot of outpatient rehab and Cheryl and and, and my girls were there helping me. I had to learn how to walk again. Uh, My speech was off. But yeah, I was really surprised that (laughs) 
everything came back. You know, the, the good Lord, you know, chose me to come back from, from, from that spot and, and be as normal as I can be. Well, and you are doing a lot of great work because you are an oncology nurse. And I know how much I personally value oncology nurses. They're the best. They're so compassionate and so competent. So we're glad that you are back working again and helping other people. And Cheryl, you are helping people because of the unbelievable childhood that you had. Can you just give us a very quick summary of how you grew up and how you ended up in jail? After Rob had his heart attack, we decided that being that I was strong, that I was going to start trying to be able to be an advocate for abused children. Because when I was a 10-year-old and my mother got um, extremely sick and was hospitalized, I unfortunately was starting to get abused by my father at that time. And I took over my mother's role as far as everything, including that. Um, I had a two-year-old sister at the time. And for the six years that I was abused, I needed to protect and watch out for my sister because he always had threatened me that um, if I didn't uh, do everything that he wanted me to do, he would start on my younger sister. Yeah, so you didn't have the option of just moving out. I mean, when you were 16, you could have just emancipated yourself and you could have just left, but you didn't want to leave your sister. Or I could have waited another year or so and gone to college, you know, gone away. Or I honestly, um, I thought in my head at that point, if I didn't have my sisters, I wouldn't be here talking to you either because when my mother had passed away when I was 15, I was so devastated over her loss that I would have just, you know, really been a a statistic of suicide and just ended it then and thought that I could go and be with her. So, but I, I could not leave my sister with that, with that monster. So I, I was a desperate kid myself. And when my mother passed away and everybody stopped coming around and it was just my father, me and my sister, uh, it was multiple times a day, not even just sexual, but physical, emotional beatings. And it was a tough time. So you talked to a kid in your homeroom in high school, and he said that he would murder somebody for money. If the money was right, he would. And I, you know, asked him how much, you know, because we were just kind of talking off the top of our head over, uh, you know, over the topic was there was something uh, in the next town that happened on the news, and I just kind of brought it up. And he said I would if the money was right, and he said he would do it for a thousand dollars. Um, if you would have said a million dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, anything like that, that a thousand dollars to me was worth all the pain and suffering that I was and trying to save my sister it was, it was it was worth. And I said to him, "Well, I know somebody that would would want you to do that." He said, "Who?" And I said, "Me." All right. So, without getting into all the details, the deed was done. You ended up spending a few months in jail. Rob, who was peripherally involved, got five years of probation. And then you guys got past that. And you got married, and you have your two daughters who are fabulous. And you've learned a lot about the inner strength that we all have that we can call on when we need it. And so now, Cheryl, when you go out and you speak, what do you tell people about their inner strength and their ability to find their voices, especially if they're abused? Uh, what I do tell them is if you are strong enough to get through what you have already been through, then you're strong enough to to take that strength within you and you're strong enough to, you know, help other people when you're ready and 
speak up, the more people that spread awareness and speak out about sexual abuse, especially incest, because that's such a taboo still to this day. That and they they think that the shame is on them, but it's really not. It's on the perpetrator. You know, they don't. They should not carry the shame. They should not let abuse define the rest of their lives. And they're not alone. And at the age that I was in the 80s, from 10 to 16, I felt I was alone. And that was one big thing that I try to emphasize is that not your shame and you're not alone. And you could do it. You, you could get through it. You can live to talk about it and live, you know, a decent life. It never goes away. But you can start you know, a new chance to start a new day and make the best of it. All right. So you started a new life. And Rob, in a very dramatic fashion, you started a new life, too, when you emerged from being dead for three quarters of an hour. Right. And the only way that was, was that Cheryl was my guardian angel as well, because if she wasn't there, I wouldn't be here, you know. And the funny part is, is that, you know, most people label or think of Cheryl, you know, by the actions that she took when she was 16 years old. And, you know, the reason that we wrote our book was because that's not who she is or, I mean, that's who she was, but that's not who she is. She, she is a very strong woman who's here to help as apparently, thank God, because if she didn't want to help, I wouldn't be here talking to you. And that book that you two wrote, which I just finished reading, is called Incest, Murder, and a Miracle. It's by Rob and Cheryl Cuccio. Great book, very inspirational. So I thank you both for sharing what you've been through and describing how we all have that inner strength that we can use to overcome these things. We're very happy to have you in the Chicken Soup for the Soul family. I am so pleased and honored to be in that family with you guys. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. I hope we'll see some more writing from you in the future. I'm Amy Newmark. Thank you all for listening to the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast today. If you want to read Rob's story and 100 other great stories about miracles, divine intervention, angels, miraculous healing, amazing coincidences, you can learn more about Chicken Soup for the Soul, Believe in Miracles on our website, chickensoup.com. And you can find the book at Walmart, Target, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Amazon. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you'll automatically get new episodes. And if you enjoy the podcast, we would love it if you would write a review of it. There are thousands of podcasts out there, so it sure helps us if you review it and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks for listening today. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.